On that day, she was still a young woman, only 27 years old, in fact. She had on her that blush, that bloom of youth. But if you were to see her on the street, I don't suppose that you would have found her altogether that significant. A lovely young woman, composed, well-spoken, but not perhaps extraordinary. But on that day, she was, as it seemed, the very center of a most extraordinary ceremony. And despite her youth, the ceremony itself was very old, reaching back a thousand years into the mists of time. And even further, in fact, in all that was said, in all that was done, in all that was placed upon her head and upon her shoulders. Head and shoulders which still carry the crown. And now at 95, Queen Elizabeth II is still today the Queen of the United Kingdom. She still wears the crown in one of the longest rules of recorded history. What an extraordinary woman. And what an extraordinary service. If you have been watching at any point this series, which has garnered some attention, The Crown, which has been on for years, but Hazel and I are just catching up. I guess we're always a bit behind the times. We saw last night, in fact, the very episode of that series about the monarchy of the United Kingdom that involved the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in June of 1953. And the name of that episode is An Act of God. Now, there's some double entendre in there, and it needn't be explained at this point, but suffice it to say, the coronation is understood to be an act of God. Now, you may or may not agree with that, and it isn't my purpose to argue the point or even to make a position on it, except to say that when I share with you some of the words that are actually spoken during the coronation of the monarch, I think you will recognize that whatever you might think about monarchy or the United Kingdom or any of the individuals that have been involved in the long procession of that process, there is no question that in the words that are spoken and the action that is taken, there is a reflection of Christ. In fact, the most sacred moment of the coronation is what is known as the consecration. And you know what a consecration is. It is something being set apart as holy. And it is something in which the ceremony recognizes that there is a holiness that comes from God because where else could holiness come from? There is none holy but God. Even as Jesus said, there is none good but God. And so the goodness of God, which is his holiness, is said to come and cover the one that is being consecrated. And in that portion of the service, this very first coronation of a monarch of, of the United Kingdom to be televised on the then relatively new technology of television was in one portion still somewhat behind the veil. And that was the portion of the consecration in which the actual ceremony itself was not shown on the television cameras, presumably because it was considered to be so very holy. And in that portion, there is a canopy that has come and brought over the monarch, in this case the queen as she's being crowned, a little kind of booth, a sort of temple or tabernacle that is placed over her, a covering. And then the officiant, who is in this case the head of the Church of England, other than the monarch themselves, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, comes with anointing oil. The same kind of, of oil, the same action of anointing that was done for the kings of old of Israel, for the kings and the prophets and the priests. In fact, in the very 
language of the ceremony, it is acknowledged that this anointing is like the anointing that was placed upon Solomon by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet in the days of ancient Israel. And so this oil represents the grace of God, the charism of God in the Greek term, the Holy Spirit. And that is the covering. And these are the words that are spoken as the priest, with that oil, makes the sign of the cross on the various different elements of the body of the monarch. So she puts her hands forward and he anoints his, her hands and he says, Be thy hands anointed with holy oil. Be thy chest anointed with holy oil. Be thy head anointed with holy oil. Now, this anointing is not just for her or even just for every monarch. But the notion is that there is a federal anointing. What that means is there is a head, and from that head, the anointing flows down. Now, the head of the body of Christ is Christ. And so the anointing that is upon Christ flows to every person in the body, to every person in the kingdom to every heir of salvation, to every child of God. For the children of God are those and only those who are in the body of Christ. This exclusivity may seem to you strange or unnerving, but it is important to recognize that it is not up to you or I to, defer, to, to define the terms of the kingdom or the boundaries of its parameters, but rather to recognize that it is the love of God which makes broad invitation and says to all, come in to Christ. For there is in Christ no condemnation. Amen. No one will be turned away by Christ. No one will be turned away by Christ, but many will turn themselves away. And such were some of us. And even now, in these days, aren't there times when we start to turn? And when we do, we have an enemy of our soul, for there is a lover of our soul, which is God, but that old devil, the adversary Satan, is an enemy of our soul. He's real and powerful and very wily. And when you and I have turned away from God in the myriad ways in which we can, in our selfishness, in our vanity, in our fear, in our lust, in our greed, in our anger, in our confusion and our depression, then the enemy will say, now you are well and truly lost. Give yourself over to that way. Go further in depression. Go further in greed. Go further in anger. Give vent to it. Let it loose. Because after all, what would God want with you now? And so condemnation comes like a curse to chain people in the consequences of their sin. But there is one who will break every chain because the spirit of the Lord is upon him and upon him, in him, it shall be. He shall be upon you as well. And it is the anointing which breaks the yoke of bondage and frees people so that they can know that there is no condemnation 
in Christ, but there is transformation. Will you say that phrase? No condemnation, but transformation. Say it with me now. No condemnation, but transformation. And it is transformation that you and I desire. I assure you, I promise you, please, out there, if you're a guest and it seems strange to you to consider that Christ could possibly be your hope, I want to promise you this. What you desire most deep within your heart is to be what you were made to be. To be really and truly and fully that one whom God made you to be. And yet, if you're honest with yourself and if you look at the way that you live, you will acknowledge as I do that there is a disparity, a disconnect, a gap, a divide between who we feel we were made to be and how we often really live. Jesus came to close that gap, to bridge the divide, but also to provide the means of grace by which you and I, by the very Spirit of God, would be renewed, transformed. In that ceremony, when the anointing comes upon the monarch, the understanding by faith is this, that she, that young woman, Elizabeth, 27 years old, is transformed by the anointing to become the regent. There is an anointing from God that comes upon any who will receive him that will transform you. When I was a younger man myself, I was brought into a position in the church that I had never anticipated, and it was, in fact, the first time that I was in a formal role of professional ministry, if you want to call it that. In other words, I took a job as a minister, and it was the first time. And it was in children's ministries at a large church. And so I would have a lot of responsibilities in that job. And I would be a spiritual leader to that little flock. And I remember that my first day on that job, they did something for me that I probably had never had done for me in any other job. Every member of that team came and gathered around me and prayed over me. And they laid their hands on me and they anointed my head with oil and they prayed for the anointing of God over and in me to do that job. Not just for my blessing, but really so that I could be a blessing, so that I could do the job and do it well, not in my strength, not in my wisdom, but in his strength, in his wisdom. And friends, I can tell you this, whether you believe it or not is up to you, but I know it's true. A mantle came upon me as they prayed. That is to say, I felt the anointing. I couldn't see it, but I could feel it. And many days after that, many times over the years, as I served in that position and in the other positions that the Lord has led me into, I have recognized that it is always, only, and ever by the anointing and grace of God that I can do anything. And much of what I do, I don't necessarily do well, and I fail and falter all the time. But you know what? There is no condemnation in Christ. There is learning, and there is transformation. 
And sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, the more that we live according to the purpose of God, the more we live within his presence, the more we recognize and receive the fullness of the anointing that enables us to be what we were made to be. This anointing can be described in many ways. Life, resurrection, transformation, holiness, righteousness, peace. But there's one word that carries and covers and includes all of those things. And the word is love. The anointing of God is his love. His love is perfect and holy, higher than every concept that you and I have of love, which may climb up in an aspiration, but really cannot yet ascend all the way to all that is love, because God is love. Now, you and I, and this world that we live in, have many wrong ideas about love. In fact, when Paul wrote to the Romans, the Christian Romans, Jewish and Gentile alike, of the first century AD, in this wonderful letter to the Romans that you and I are studying in this season, he begins that letter by recognizing that religious people have misunderstood the love of God and worldly people have misunderstood the love of God. And in fact, in the world, the misunderstanding of the love of God becomes multiplied into misunderstanding about love in all of its forms. Even the love of men and women turns twisted when there is not an understanding of the love of God, when there is a twisting and turning away from God. But for those who received the word of God and the law of God, which is his love, nevertheless, they became bound by their inability to fulfill that law. And so whether they were lawful or lawless, all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And the glory of God is his love. So Christ comes to reveal the law to us, the living word. He comes to show and to shed the love of God for us, to cover us and anoint us. Filled with his spirit, washed by his blood. When you and I are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we are brought in to Christ. It's like that canopy that comes over the monarch, that covering, that's Christ. But there is something else. When you are in Christ, the anointing comes so that Christ can be in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is what makes you and I able to be and to believe, to receive and to display the power of God in his love and in his work in every way. Christ in you. You and Christ, in that arrangement, all sin is covered by the blood. There's no condemnation, but there is love. Love that overcomes. Love that intercedes. Love that overwhelms and makes you and I more than conquerors through him who loved us. So that not only do we have the love of God in us, but we have the ability to show the love of God around us. We love because he first loved us. Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And so because of that, 
in this extended time in which we have been seeking the things of the Lord in this wonderful letter of God, the book of Romans, we are going to take this week and the next two, that is three weeks together, to study Romans chapter 8 alone. There are three sections of Romans 8 that I have divvied up in this time of teaching over these weeks. And so today we're going to start in the first section of Romans 8. But as we do so, I just want to remind you of where we're at in the progression of this letter. So last week we studied Romans 7 together. And if you weren't a part of that message, you can still view the recording on our YouTube channel or on our website at mypcf.org. But you don't have to have heard that message in order to be able to receive today what the Lord wants to speak to you today. But I want to remind you of where we're coming from. As we concluded Romans chapter 7, and in that we were talking about the will of the Father, the purpose of God, which is righteousness and love and holiness and anointing, we see that Jesus came to fulfill the will of Father God. And in doing so, he made us heirs together with himself of all the glorious goodness of the Father's will. Now you remember that the chapter concluded with that familiar struggle that you and I still recognize, which is even as we have been redeemed in the Spirit, we still remain in the flesh. And so we have this struggle because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the weakness of the flesh is that it tends to give in to all those things that I described a few moments ago, anger and lust greed and fear, depression, discouragement, confusion, delusion, deception, selfishness. So how then are we to handle life when even if we desire to do right in our spirit, we find ourselves weak in our bodies? Paul says it is Christ who will overcome that weakness. So as you and I crucify the body, that is, as we recognize that that way of living, which is still so familiar to us, is in fact a way of dying, and so we decide to die to it, we can be brought alive in Christ. Not by our decision, because our decision is a response. It is Christ who brings us alive. It is Christ who has called us and Christ who equips us. But it is necessary that you and I would receive that anointing and believe in this promise that there is no condemnation in Christ. So I want to ask you to do something, still here in the early part of this message. I want you, who have been called to be in your sphere of influence, in your part of the world, a priest of God. Because if you know Christ, and Christ is in you, then you are a minister of God's grace to the world around you. And as a prophet, which is to say that you are one who is called to declare the message of God. And here it is. This Bible is not meant to be simply read privately by you and I, although I certainly hope that you and I are doing that on a daily basis. And if we are, we will be transformed. But it is also meant to be shared, to be learned and spoken, to be taught and revered, to be declared. So you also are called to be a prophet of God's message. And a king or a queen, that is to say, you have an opportunity to influence others and you have people who are under your influence, 
Maybe you're a supervisor at work. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a parent, a father or a mother who's taking care of little ones. Maybe you're a babysitter. You're still a kid yourself. But during those times when you're babysitting, there is someone under your influence. Even if it's something like you are serving people in a restaurant like I did for many years. As a waiter, you might not think that you are a king. But do you know what Jesus said about himself? I will dress myself like a waiter and come and serve you. So as a waiter, you also can be a king in Christ or a queen in Christ in the sense that you have the opportunity to allow what anointing is on you to flow to them as a blessing. So then, the anointing must be on you and in you. And if you say, well, I'm not sure that I'm ready to be a follower of Christ, and if you say, I don't know that I am in Christ, or even that Christ is, then I want to let you know, if you're part of this message today, this message comes to you to make you aware Christ is And he is calling you. He is inviting you. Will you accept? Will you come into him and receive him into you? Do this. Put your hands in front of you. Now, I can't come around with oil and anoint each one of you, but what does the oil represent? The oil represents the Holy Spirit, God himself, invisible but present. And so in that spirit, be thy hands anointed with Holy Spirit. Be thy breast anointed with Holy Spirit. Be thy head anointed with Holy Spirit. And Lord, by this anointing, may we be the people of God. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8 offers an extraordinary discourse on how the love of God is what frees us from the body of death and sin. The love of God is what overcomes the realities of sin. Now think about it this way. We talked about this analogy last week. When a child is formed, when a new human life begins, where does it begin? Where does it begin? In the woman, in her womb, right? There is the contribution from the father, a seed that is sown into the garden where that life will be grown, which is the womb of the woman. There is an egg in that woman ready to receive that seed. Just like you and I, just now in praying over our hearts, are like a womb ready to receive the seed of God's word. And so that life begins when seed meets egg in the womb. And we call it conception. It's like an idea dawning, but it's better than an idea. It's a person. But you won't see that person for nine months. I almost said nine weeks. That would not be a human gestation period. But there are different times, right? Different kinds of entities require different times of preparation. And in human beings, we know that in nine nine months, a life will be formed. Now, here's what's interesting. That life begins at conception, but the body is still being formed, right? In fact, even when the body is born out of the womb, it will still be transformed over time. But there is astonishing transformation that happens during gestation. So life has begun, but it's not yet seen. And a body is being built, but it's not yet ready. But there will come a time, and it will come with hardship. There will be pain. I know that I haven't experienced it, but I've been there right when it was happening, and I could see enough to say, that looks like it hurts. And it sounds like it hurts. And I know that it hurts. 
There is labor pain. There is blood and water that spills. But there is life. And a woman, though she is in pain, has joy in that moment because despite the pain, she is focused on the purpose, which is the child. And she loves the child. So now then, this is the metaphor that Paul uses to describe not only our bodies, but the world. So think, think of it this way. There is in you, if you have Christ in you and you are in Christ, a new spirit that has been conceived That life is begun and is real, but it is not visible yet in the way that it will be ultimately visible. But it's growing and transforming. Now then, this body that we are still living in, this body is dying every day. Now, whatever you believe, whether you believe in Christ or not, whether you believe in the Bible or not, whether you believe that you'll listen to me for another two minutes or not, the reality is this. You can deny it, but you cannot defy it. Every day that you and I live, we are one day closer to death. That is true. So these bodies are dying. When you're young, it's hard to believe it because your body's getting better all the time, although you don't really appreciate it most, for the most part until later. Then you look back and go, my God, I had a good body then. Why didn't I enjoy the strength and, and virility? And I, I was always concerned that I you know, wasn't enough, but then aging sets in, right? And then you really don't need anyone to tell you that bodies wear down because the older you get, the more that you can see these bodies are wearing away. But... Don't be worried about that because the body cannot sustain of itself anyway. The flesh doesn't profit anything. It's the spirit that gives life. So the spirit that is in you, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God is the spirit of life. And that life brings resurrection to the body. So there is a process and it will take time and there will be shedding of blood and spilling of waters and there are labor pains. In fact, all creation groans. But there is something coming that is greater and better. And when that life is born out, all of the tears that have passed will be quickly forgotten in the glory of what is ahead. Even Jesus saw this. He despised the cross like labor pains, but for the joy that was set before him, which was love of you, He endured the pain and suffering of the cross, not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain of that, so that you could be born in him. That's what it means to be born again. And so this body is going to die anyway, but in Christ there is life and it's love. And that love is so powerful that it overcomes, it intercedes and overwhelms. Today we're going to talk about receiving the love that overcomes in this first section of Romans. And it begins with this assurance because we recognize that if we have any right understanding of God at all, which is part of what the law came to show us is that we don't without him, but through the law we can see that there is this divide. In fact, if you ever feel convicted by reading the word of God, that conviction is a good thing. It is showing you you're not living according to the life of God. You're not living according to the spirit. So let that conviction remind you to put to death the things of the flesh. Not literally in some kind of self-destructive manner, but rather do not live for the purposes of that fleshly mind but rather live according to the life of God. But how can I even approach God if I'm so ashamed, if I'm so embarrassed by what I've done wrong, if I'm so hurt 
by the wrong that's been done against me. Maybe you don't struggle with the sense of condemnation of yourself, but you have a hard time praying to God because of people who have hurt you. Maybe it's hard to hear you Uh, to hear God described to you as Father God because your father was no good father to you. Maybe it's hard for you to hear about life being born out of a mother because your mother hurt you rather than helped you, or your father abandoned you. Or maybe it was your husband or a wife. Maybe somebody abused you or cheated you or lied to you, and it's hard for you to get past the fact that God allowed that wrong to happen. And so the condemnation is not you being afraid that God is condemning you, but you condemning God for not having been there for you when you needed him. But you can't carry that feeling into Christ. And you know why? Because it's not true. Brothers and sisters, beloved, God has always been there for you. He's never, ever left you alone. You've felt alone, but when you felt alone, the only one who felt it even more than you did was him. When you felt that you couldn't reach him, your frustration was in him too. There's nothing you've ever gone through that he doesn't know about. Nothing you've ever gone through that he doesn't care about. And if you can't forgive him for what he allowed, you'll never be able to receive the forgiveness he's already made for you. There's no condemnation in Christ, not of you and not from you. You've got to receive the love of God that overcomes that in order to believe in the love of God that intercedes, that in in our lives, in our beings, comes in like the Spirit of God himself to groan in ways that go beyond words, that go deeper. There are our groans and there are the groans of the world around us. But you know who groans most? You know who groans deepest? The Spirit of God groans with groanings too deep to be uttered so that you and I could receive the blessing of his prayer and the power of his love. Even all creation groans But God will renew all creation. He will overwhelm all that is wrong in order to institute all that is right. So what we are called to in Christ is to receive. And in the receipt of what is anointing us, we become witnesses to that anointing. Revelation happens through you when you are in Christ and Christ is in you. In our PSOM class today, we're talking about revelation. So students of that course, remember these words. Revelation is in you when the kingdom of God is in you and you are in Christ. And you can then release the love that has flown to you. And that's how you have victory. It isn't by strength of arm or the might of weaponry. It's not the number of horses or the number of vehicles or the number of voters. It is the Spirit of God that is powerful. And it's the love of God that overcomes all adversaries and overwhelms all the world. It's not by might of men nor power of politics, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So you see that even as we sang today about the Blessed Trinity, that the three persons who are one God, for there is only one God, but 
in that trinity, there is a father who loves you and has provided for you. There is a savior who saved you and is calling you into him and he is placing in you his spirit. So the love of God, the father, that is in Christ, the savior, is known in the spirit. And so as we look at Romans chapter 8, we see these articulations about the power of God's love and the purpose of his Holy Spirit. Let's look at the power of his love that overcomes and let's focus on receiving it because God wants you to receive what he is offering. Is there anything that would hold you back from that? It is overcome by the love of God that flows to you now. The love that overcomes. In these first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8, Paul describes the freedom from the fear of judgment and the freedom from the penalty of sin that we receive in Christ. But this freedom, which is the love of God at work in you and for you, is not just in Christ, but by your being in Christ, it is the anointing that comes upon you and in you. So that you in Christ and Christ in you actually satisfies what Jesus himself prayed, the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. He was preparing in those uh, hours to go to the cross for you and I in John chapter 17. He was sitting at the table where these elements were first declared, the bread that is his body and the cup that is his blood, the cup of a new covenant. And he was praying for you. He said, I don't just pray for these but for those who will believe through them. In other words, every person who will come to believe in me, says Jesus, through the testimony, the witness of my followers. That's what the Bible is. And so Jesus prayed for you on earth. His last night on earth, he was praying for you. And you know what he prayed? A great many wonderful things and included in them, perhaps most important in them, is that we would be one. Father, make them one with each other and with us, with the same oneness, Father, that you and I are one, in the same glory that you and I had from before time began. So in Christ, the Spirit of God is at work in you so that you would be living in God. And God would be revealing himself in you. So the Spirit of life is the Spirit that Jesus Christ introduces into us when we come into Christ. And it is the life of freedom and love that we are called to live. Now, you cannot live that life in the flesh. Now, what I mean by that is the flesh, which is this dying body, not just their physical beings, but the way of living in this fallen world is something that you and I cannot extricate ourselves from on our own. But the anointing that comes upon you and I is that even during this gestational period, right? While we're, we're all in the, in the womb of God, or we could put it this way, we're all in the tomb of Christ. Because when you're brought into the body of Christ, how are you brought in? You're brought into the grave. The grave, the tomb of Christ is a womb. It's where your life in him is conceived. But now you and I are developing in that place where we're still living inside this body of death. But it will eventually die away. So how then are we to live? How are we to overcome this struggle within? Through the love of God which is available to us in the spirit. That's why we read the word to receive the seed of life. That's why we pray 
so that we would pray in the Spirit. That's why we worship together, so that we would worship in the Spirit, so that the Spirit would be the way that we are living. And when we do that together, that's why we partake of communion, remembering Christ, we also are reminded of the promise and the power of the Spirit of resurrection. This body is dying, but I tell you that this body will live again. Now, this is a mystery and a miracle, and many will not believe it, but as many as will believe it, as many as will receive it, I invite you to receive this truth. No matter what happens to this body, whether it's crushed or cut down, whether even after it dies, it is cremated or buried and given over to the corruption that is the way of all flesh, dust to dust, I have no fear because I know that this body will be resurrected. Now, what it will be when it is resurrected, I cannot say. Because all I know about a resurrected body is what I see in the resurrection of Christ. But what I see there is a body that eats. Did you know that after he was resurrected, Jesus said to them, I'm not a ghost. I'm not just a spirit. Give me some food. And they gave him a bit of broiled fish. And he ate it. In fact, when he saw the disciples again up in Galilee, when they just went back to normal, like we were talking about, they went back to normal, but it wasn't normal and they didn't know what's the purpose of God going forward, there was Jesus on the beach with a barbecue. It's like when we were uh, uh, in the Philippines having fresh fish right out of the sea on the beachfront. Nothing better, right? Oh, matamis, it's sweet, it's good. Jesus was there. He was having a cookout for them. He's a person. Thomas said, I can't believe it's you. He said, well, look, here are the holes in my hands. Here's the hole in my side. Touch me, feel me, I'm real. That's who Jesus is, friends. That's not just was, that is. He's a physical being, but he also appeared and disappeared. He also showed up in places. But after all, he walked on water while he was still living in the flesh. So in the spirit, all things are possible. I don't know what the process is by which resurrection happens. I don't have to. I know the one who does it. And so I'm not afraid of death because I believe in the resurrection of life. Your body matters to God. So if he allows something difficult to go on in it in these days, seek him in the spirit for what the purpose is. God heals, but sometimes there's a process involved. And yet if you are taking your body and doing things with it that is not part of the purpose of God, how can you then be living in the spirit? You can't prostitute your body if your body is in Christ because you would be prostituting Christ. So then don't live for the body and what it wants, but live in the spirit. And when you do, you will be resurrected by that spirit. Now, to be absent from this body for all who are in Christ is to be present with the Lord. But there is a resurrection of this body that is promised. And that resurrection isn't just about this body or your body. It's about everybody. It's about all the world being renewed in the power of the spirit of resurrection, in the power of the spirit of God. But only those who are the children of God can possibly receive what God gives to those who are his inheritors. How can you receive the kingdom from the king unless you belong to the king? So it is the spirit of God's love that gives life, that resurrects, 
and gives us the assurance that we belong to him. Now, if God is our father, we don't have to come afraid because our father doesn't condemn us. Our father loved us so much that he gave his son for us so that Jesus would be, as Paul says in Romans 8, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And so that is the purpose of the spirit of adoption, that we would know that we belong to the Father and that we would call upon him in the name of the Son and by the power of the Spirit so that we could live our lives in Christ. Let's look at these verses. Paul says to those who are struggling within with the war, the wrestling match of the flesh and the Spirit, that it's Christ who overcomes that match. It's Christ who gives the victory. So if you feel convicted by your failures, then come and receive the forgiveness of sin that is in Christ. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free. Now you see here, this is one of those moments where Paul is utilizing this terminology of the law and he does it in a variety of different ways to refer to different things. But what he doesn't want people to do is something that unfortunately many people do, which is to think that somehow every iteration of the law is bad. But what what Paul is saying here is there is a law of life and that law of life comes to you in Christ through the spirit of life and it sets you free from the other law that is at work in your members, which is the law of sin and death. Now, what the law couldn't do, because it was weak through the flesh, God can and does do. So the problem with the law is the law revealed how far away we were from God, but it couldn't bridge the gap. It couldn't cover our sin. Not because the law was not strong enough, but because we were weak in our flesh. So what Christ did is come in the flesh to bridge the gap. And to bring us into him and bring his spirit of righteousness into us. So God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. That's where there's condemnation. You know who is condemned? The one who accuses you. That one who puts in your mind and in your heart the fear of God that is not a righteous fear, but that disdain for God that despairs of hope because you think God is against you, the one who fosters that feeling is the one who is, in fact, the enemy of God. And he's the one that is condemned. He's trying to pull you down with him. Don't let him do it. But you can't resist him in your own strength. Therefore, let the love that overcomes him fill you with the love of God. So don't walk in his way. Don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, the reality is you and I stumble, and there are times where we find ourselves walking in the flesh. Don't keep going. Stop. Repent. Confess. And allow, again, the spirit of life to live in you. It is not that any time you and I sin, we are lost from God until we can be saved again. But rather, what is being described there is a process by which you and I see again and again that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if we start to live in a way in which we are living according to the death of the flesh, then we are living into that law of sin and death. And those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh are not like those who, according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. 
The mind that is set on the flesh is death and everything that death entails. So it brings destruction, delusion, deception, division, discouragement, even disease and ultimately death. But the mind that is sent on the spirit is life and peace. And so living in that way will proliferate peace, rest, I and my Savior, perfectly blessed. It doesn't mean that there's never any hardship, but it means that the love of God that is in Christ in you is overcoming every hardship and making you an overcomer. And it also builds into your heart and mind the trust that ultimately we have an eternity of security in the Spirit because Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, will also resurrect you and I. Now, if we are living with the mind that is set on the flesh, we are living in animosity towards God. There's a hostile attitude towards God because it does not have perfect submission. In fact, it is objecting to God. In fact, the mind of the flesh and the way of the flesh isn't even able to submit to God. So if you live that way, you live imprisoned in that way. And the prison is death. But if you allow the anointing of God's love to break that yoke of bondage, then you will be in the Spirit. And if you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, then the Spirit of God is in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to him. So this is not just an added benefit. It's not like, oh, you know what? You get to be in Christ. And by the way, if you'd like, you can also have you know, this, 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 this plus Oh, no, I'll just go with Christianity simple. I don't want Christianity plus. No, the Spirit is not Christianity plus. The Spirit is Christianity. It is the anointing of God. To be a Christian means to be one who is under the anointing of the Christ and following in it. And the anointing of the Christ is the Spirit. So if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are not in Christ. But if you have that lack, then come into Christ and receive the Spirit. And if you are in Christ, then live in the Spirit. And receive from the Spirit the wisdom, the discernment, the encouragement, and the strength to operate in Him. If Christ is in you, even though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And that is the very Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. So it's not a question, will this really work? I mean, I know we have to receive it by faith, and it is absolutely essential that we receive it by faith. But God already showed it. He raised Christ from the dead. Now, if you really believe that, then you have in you the spirit of resurrection. But if you don't believe that, how can the spirit of resurrection live in you? Because he is also the spirit of truth. If you don't believe the truth, then how can you receive the spirit of truth? In fact, the only way that you will know the truth and believe it is to receive the spirit of truth, of Christ, of resurrection. And you can be confident that he will fulfill the promises of God because he has already done that in Christ. So therefore, we don't have any obligation to live according to the flesh. We are free. Now, Paul makes this point elsewhere. He says, for instance, in Galatians chapter 5, you're free. You, you can do whatever you want because there is no condemnation in Christ. But don't use that freedom to indulge your flesh. Because that's not the purpose of God. You know, it's like my dog. We used to bathe my dog. We would spend all this time with all the shampoo and everything, getting him all rinsed off. Now, what would he do as soon as we finished bathing him? We were outside. What would he do? He would go roll in the dirt. 
You're clean, but don't go roll in the dirt. You're free. So why are you putting on chains? And if there are chains on you, if there are strings on you, then you know what? Like Pinocchio, stop lying, tell the truth, and be freed from those strings. God will set you free from them. Come to him in your need, and you will receive freedom in Christ. And in the spirit, not only will you have freedom, but you'll have wisdom to put to death the things. You know what I'm praying for you? That you wouldn't want to do the things of the flesh. I'm praying that for me too. Why don't you pray that for me and pray that for each other also? That we would not desire to do things that go against the grain of God's will. In fact, God will do that. You get to the place where you don't even want to do it. You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there were people here, your practice used to be to go out and get drunk, to get stoned or get high. You used to have drugs. You used to have sex with whoever you wanted to have sex with. Did it make you free? Or was it not a prison in which you suffered? Why did I do that? Why was I with them? That's how you got that, that disease. That's how you got put in jail. That's how you lost that license. Maybe you functioned so highly and so well with all of it that you skated through all of that for free. But you weren't free because on the inside you were full of all kinds of anxiety and condemnation. So then, don't live that way. And if you're living that way, be set free. You were made for more than that. You're better than that. And God has something better for you. Now the Spirit will enable you to put to death the deeds of the body and live in the Spirit. And the Father is here to help you. He loves you. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Not every creature that God created is a child of God. Jesus came to his own people, and his own people didn't receive him. They did not receive the love that overcomes the law that was sentencing them to death. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to be conceived. And that which has been conceived in the tomb of Christ will be born through the womb of resurrection. And in fact, the kingdom is even right now alive in you if you are in Christ. You did not receive the spirit of slavery. Here's one of these great themes of Romans 8 as we come to the conclusion of today's message and we approach the table of liberty and freedom, the table of anointing and appointment. I want to remind you that we approach a place not just of a righteous holy king, not just of a pure and perfect prophet, not just of a holy and clean priest, but also of a loving father. You have not received a spirit that makes you feel enslaved. You have received a spirit that assures you that you belong to God as his child. It's the spirit of love. And so we can cry, Abba, which means Father, Papa, Dad. I need you. I want you. Show me, teach me, help me, save me. And he does. And the spirit within 
makes us aware that he does and that we are loved. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs. And everything that he has, that he has given to Christ, he will give to you as long as you are willing to die to everything else. Paul puts it this way, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You are pregnant if you are in Christ. And there's no getting around the delivery. You want to be free? Deliverance is the way. You want life? You have to birth that life. And there is pain and blood and tears, but it is worth it because there is life and love in Christ. Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father. And in doing so, he made us heirs with himself of all the glorious goodness of the Father's will, the Father's purpose. But you know what that is? That is the Father's love. He came so that you could be loved and live forever in the strength and the righteousness and the hope and the assurance of that love without any condemnation, without any shame, not because you've never done wrong, but because every wrong you've ever done has been covered by the love of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do you know what you've been saved from? If you knew the reality of hell and saw it face to face, you would never stop praising God. Live in that love because you have been saved. Now, every person that you meet in your life is a recipient of this message. And if you don't share it with them, who will? You have been called for this very purpose. Nothing else could possibly be more important than this. This is life. Whatever hardship you have to walk through to share this life with others, go through it in Christ, in God, and he will give you the strength to overcome. I'm going to ask if those who are serving from the table would bring the elements before us. You at home, if you're going to partake of this communion, and I pray and hope that you will, if you have elements, bring them before you now. We will partake together. These are the last moments of this service, but it's the first moments of this week. It's the beginning of living a new way of life in the love of Christ for anyone and everyone who will receive that life right now. If you don't have elements at home to partake, you have the love of the Father, and you have the presence of the Spirit, and you have the promise of the Savior. So simply receive through prayer and believe. Believe what I share with you, just as it was shared with me, that on the last night of his life, our Savior took bread and wine and shared them with those who loved him and were following him. As you receive of this cup, open up and take the piece of bread and just hold it there with you.
You might say, I've never seen Jesus. How can I know that he's real? Can you see this bread? Can you feel it? When you put it into your mouth, will you taste it? It's real. Now, I can't tell you how, but I can only say that this is more than just a piece of bread and more than just a symbol. It is the body of Christ. Not in a way that you can see, but it's the visible manifestation of the invisible love and grace of God. And there's life in this body. But by eating it, what you're acknowledging is, I don't want to just live in my body. I want to live in yours. I want to belong to you, Jesus, and to everyone that belongs to you. You might say, boy, there's a lot of people in there that I don't think I want to be one with. Yes, I suppose that could be true. And how do we feel about you? Do we want to be one with you? Children can squabble. But I can say as a father, it is often the place of a father to remind the children, love one another, just like I love you. Now, I'm an imperfect father with imperfect love, but I have a perfect father whose perfect love not only loves me, but enables me to love you and you to love me, imperfect as I am. And love covers a multitude of sins. He went to the cross and his body was pierced and broken for you and I so that we could be made whole. Lord, we receive your body and we believe that you are present here in our midst with your love and life. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Here is a flood of the love of God. And the love of God comes in like a flood to cleanse your world of all of its sin, to cleanse your body of all of its sin, to restore your soul with the hope of his spirit. Jesus said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant in my blood. And it's a promise that as many as will receive me will receive the one who sent me and will live in me. Even if they die, yet they will live. That promise is for you and for any who will receive. And if you believe it, then receive this cup right now with the life of the Lord flowing into you.